welcome back to another week of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name's Alon. And I'm Tim. And uh, again, we don't have Ara, and uh, actually next week's show, he will also not be here. But after that, I can almost promise that Ara will be back. And at that point, Tim uh, may be gone. I mean, maybe he'll keep hanging out. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but Ara will definitely be back in two shows from now. He's almost done dealing with what he's got to do, making his game. And uh, ha- have you talked to him, actually? Uh, I haven't since he left, no. He's gone. He, uh, he has some interesting things happening. Basically, he's just working 24 hours a day. Um, I think he described to me something like 120 hours of work a week. I don't know how he came to that math, but it's a lot, a lot of work. Oh, yeah, just typical gaming industry crunch time fun. Yeah, pretty much. So that's what he's doing. Um, like I said, he'll be back, and that'll be great. Uh, but until until then, we, we have Tim, and we might actually have uh, another guest on next week's show, which would be interesting. Um, I'm working on that, and that'll be someone who runs a very very popular website, gaming website, and has a lot of insight. He's done that for a very long time. So. Oh, good. Anyway, I'm going to leave it a mystery until I'm sure it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Tim, before the show... You were telling me, and by before the show, I mean last week, you were telling me a story about uh, Paperboy. Oh, yeah. Not so much about Paperboy itself, but about the guy who made it. Right. So I lived in a very small town in western Massachusetts. Not terribly far from where I grew up, actually. Yeah. Uh, Our town didn't have any gas stations or traffic lights, but we had a pet goat. Have you noticed that... Small towns always define themselves by the number of traffic lights that they have. Oh, I do. I didn't know that that was a trope. No, it's it's common. I've heard it plenty of times. Like, go towards the center of town towards the traffic light or the stoplight, <laughs> right? And oh, they say, yeah. my town was so small, it only had one stoplight. <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't have any, so we uh, we had to be more inventive with our landmarks. So anytime you got to an intersection, did you just get out of your car and honk your horn? That you held in your hand. Oh, Because right. you were driving Model Ts. Right, right, right. And, okay. yeah. Okay. So, we got cable internet at some point. It was a very exciting day. And the cable guy shared with us that the guy who made Paperboy lived right down the street. Which I'm pretty sure when you're a cable guy, you're not supposed to disclose that kind of information. But I was like, oh, that's awesome. Because, yeah, I guess I was working on a game. I, w- I was in high school. I was working on a game... This was like 12 years ago, probably. Oh, no. It would have been longer than that. Man, I'm old now. Yep. Um, I can verify. (laughs) Uh, Right. So I was making a game. He saw me working on that. He said, hey, the guy who made Paperboy is right down the street. So he didn't tell me his name or anything. So I just looked up credits for Paperboy and cross-referenced that with the, the yellow pages and just called the guy. And told him that it's awesome that he made Paperboy. And wondering if I could just come by and talk to him about making games. So you, you just called this guy on the phone and be like, hey, hey, I'm Tim. I live down the road. Yeah, I guess I guess that's kind of weird. Is that weird? Uh, I mean, it's a little bit weird. But when you're a software-making celebrity, not yeah. so much. Yeah, he, he was a really cool guy. He moved from California to Massachusetts because he, he had this dream of having a big house with a flowing stream in his backyard which which he had i'm actually surprised he actually made so much money to live off of because from what i understand he didn't really make any games after that yeah well paperboy was successful but i can't imagine back at that time that making those games would have would have brought in a lot of cash yeah because i also remember hearing a lot of horror stories that working for atari didn't really make a lot of extra revenue whether or not the game was successful so I, yeah. guess, I guess I never really asked. I never really figured out if all of his money was from Paperboy. Because he, 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 uh, he brought me into his basement. That's, uh, <laughs> story's getting better. <laughs> where he, uh, he <clears throat> had a bunch of other arcade games, mostly prototypes of games that he'd worked on. And so he like worked on the programming for the speech... Uh, not it wasn't necessarily a speech synthesizer, but at the time it was a brand new way of generating high quality high quality audio. It was for the Vector Star Wars arcade game. 
Okay. So he, he worked on that, and, you know, he had one of the old prototype Paperboy games with a little bike, bike handle on it. The best part here is that he had to transport all that crap from California. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and there were, there were quite a few. There were, there were six or so arcade machines down there. All right. So go on. Okay, so I was playing Paperboy down there, and I, and I sucked at it because I'd never actually played it with the bike handle controller before. I it's mean, a different I, experience altogether. Right, because I'm like, oh, I got, I got to make sure you know, I don't make a fool out of myself. So I was playing Paperboy on MAME. Before I went down to visit him, <laughs> and like, ma- hey, ma- make sure I could at least play through Easy Street. To make sure I did, I did well. I stole your game for a bit so I could <laughs> practice. And so after practicing on this stolen copy, I want to give it a shot on the real thing that I'm still not going to pay for. So if you could just free credit that noise, that'd be great. <laughs> well, right. I mean, well, yeah. I, I can't justify that. So. Uh, yeah, so I played the game very poorly, but it was okay. He gave me some some nice anecdotes. He told me about how during the development, they made the bike handle, and it was pretty sturdy, and everybody working on it was pretty pleased with themselves, saying, yeah, we can re- we can release this into the wild, and it'll be okay. And I guess, I guess there was some huge guy that worked there, and he, he walked over, and he just lifts up the arcade machine by the handle, and it snaps off, and he says, nope, needs to be sturdier. Yeah, well, I mean, people will lift up on it. So right. That, that makes sense. Yep. Okay. Yeah, then he just gave me a bunch of encouragement. I, I showed him the game that I was working on, which was a game called The Legend of Smelda, Macarena of Time. It was after Ocarina of Time was out? Yeah, that came out in like 96 or 97 or whatever. So this was a year or two after that. That came out while I was in college, but I think freshman year. So it would have been yeah, 97 or 98. 97? Okay, ni- ni- 97 or 98, I would believe that. Okay. Yeah. All right, and you were younger than me. You are, in fact, still <laughs> younger than me. For the uh, time being. Yeah, so you would have been in high school making Macarena of Time. Okay. How'd that go over? Uh, retrospectively, I'm embarrassed that that's the game I showed him, but he was really uh, encouraging. You know, just telling me to keep making games. Um, that's it? That was that was the extent of his um, his sage advice. What else did I get out of it? Yeah, I mean, he didn't have any like deep design philosophies or anything. I mean, most most of his stories were clever anecdotes like how well, I asked him why Paperboy had all of these normal everyday things as obstacles, like cars backing up and everything and people breakdancing in the street. You know, that's that's a normal everyday scenario. Yeah, well, it happens on my street. Right. and But then at the end of one of the streets, you just run into death himself. And, you know, if you if death himself gets you, it does the same thing as if an old lady with a broom gets you or a little chihuahua. You die. Yeah. Well, you fall and, like, little stars go around your head or whatever. Wait, so, wait, wait. Death doesn't just kill you straight up? Well, no, you don't die in that game. That would be morbid. Oh, what kind of games do you actually well, die in? But I mean, what, like, what are you could, teaching the children? Game over or one life lost or whatever the energy gauge is yeah, in that game. Uh-huh. So he told me that when they were originally making that game, it was all Halloween themed. And everything in the game was all bats and creepy ghosts and stuff. And death was left over from that. Like, I guess when they were halfway done with the game, they realized that it was way funnier if it was just everyday, slightly exaggerated, wacky things. Well, it is. And on top of that, I don't know why someone would be delivering papers during Halloween. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to realize, or it's, it's hard to understand why they would have thought that was a good idea. Well, funny enough, I'm pretty sure, because there were a lot of Paperboy sequels, especially on consoles. And I want to say, I, I should have looked this up first, but I want to say that there was a Paperboy sequel on Genesis. It might have even been like Paperboy 3 or something. And it actually has a spooky Halloween theme. Like throughout the whole game? Yeah. There's like these gargoyle statues shooting fireballs at you and stuff. Wow. I didn't know that. So I I guess if that's true, yeah, I'll, I'll have to look that up now. I'm, I'm used to talking about this stuff with Wikipedia at my fingertips. Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> we take that away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you meet this guy. That actually is interesting to me. Um, because like you're a kid at that point, but you're not in interview mode. Like you didn't 
come with a lot of questions. Oh, yeah. And this was before I went to college or anything. So this, I was in total noob mode, you know? Like, it's it's before you really, before it really sinks in that you can make a living making games or that, you know, it, it was before I had a grasp on game design. Like, it wasn't until after I started going to school that I even started wrestling with what is good game design. All right. You know, one thing sticks in my head from years ago, and, and this might sounds strange right so so i was at gdc and i uh it was very early in in my adulthood right and uh i'm listening to a talk from dave perry of mm-hmm. all people right earthworm jim dave perry right. guy, Sh- guy shiny yeah and uh he gives one of the the first talks i've heard from a game developer that i thought was truly valuable and it was going over he, he said at some point he made a list and, and I'm probably not remembering this accurately, but this is what I is in my head right now. Really, sort of my my memory of what happened was he made some list of like a hundred things that make a game good, something like that. Or perhaps he gave a talk about something else, and I thought about how he should have made a list of a hundred <laughs> things that made a game good. But he he was just essentially discussing all of these these points to consider when when making a game or the things you need to consider in order to make a successful game or something. And I was just like, wow, there really is just, just a list, but there's a lot of characteristics, a lot of things that you can like concretely put down on paper. Like you should consider this element and this element and these things that attract people to. Yeah. uh, I guess a lot of people don't realize just how many variables there are at play. Yeah. There's, there's a lot. And the thing is, if you had a list like that, that you held to heart, and you reviewed every time you were you know, at a milestone during a game, you might realize, oh, wait, we're missing this piece. Mm. Or we never even thought about that. Anyway, we will be right back. Chatterboxers. How much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. All right, I promised we would be back, and we are. Three more segments to go, and uh, I was just discussing Dave Perry. And, and that will continue into another chat. But before we do that, I want to uh, remind everyone to go to uat.edu. That's the website for the University of Advancing Technology. Uh, you went to school, right? Yep. Did you go to school specifically for game design? I went to school in order to get a degree that could get me a different job if the game thing didn't work out, but at a college that offered game stuff. Okay. And UAT is the perfect choice. Was it, you didn't actually go to UAT, did yeah, you? Yeah, I did. We, did. we talked about that? Yes, uh, you did several go to UAT. times. Yes. And that was the one school you've been to. No, no, no. I went mm. to Springfield Technical Community College and then transferred all of my credits into UAT because it was a lot cheaper that way. Gotcha. Okay. So were you already in Phoenix at that point? No. Okay. So you did the Springfield Tech and Mass. Yep. Then you came out here. How did you even find out about UAT? Okay. So was it, was it back, from the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show? It was not. Back, oh. back in those days, because I came to UAT in 2002... And back in those days, there weren't all of these different colleges. Do you realize that offering. means you were you were attending probably the same time I was? I guess so. I mean, you knew Brad when yeah uh, you were there, right? I I mean yeah, but he was, was a semester ahead of me, I think. Okay, because I I mean I went there at two thousand two and I graduated in two thousand three because I took summer semesters and I only needed two more years. Oh, or four more. Yeah, semesters and I only rather. took two years. And I probably started in two thousand four. Yeah. All right, so we might not have overlapped. But in any case, uh, what was I saying? I don't know. He lost it. <laughs> so I was talking about Dave Perry, 
And he gave this talk, and I was fascinated by this, and I realized, wow, I really like the GDC. That was one important thing that I realized. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, th- I just thought to myself, I should, we should take these. This would be great, right? We need to somehow get this information out to the masses. And that never happened. But what's important is I realized that there are some characteristics you're supposed to be paying attention to. And unfortunately, you would think that people in the industry, in the game design, would have some sort of tome that says, pay attention to this. Yeah, people so people have, like have this. Have you heard of the deck of lenses? No. Because that's, that's the closest thing to... I mean, it's it's not standardized or anything, but there's uh, th- there's a lot of game design books out there, and most, almost all of them are rubbish because they're just somebody's opinion on what makes a good game. And it's 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 actually a little bit worse than that. They usually go over, oh, you want to make a game like this? Here are the things to consider to make it more like a game like that. So, like, somebody will be talking about how to make a good first-person shooter, which is great to read, I guess, if you want to make a great first-person shooter or... Others will elaborate on what makes a good MMO. But if you want to innovate, if you want to make great brand new experiences, I just feel like that kind of mentality will only pull you back. So there's a book out there that uh, tackles it in a much more objective view while still acknowledging that fun is subjective. It's I think it's called The Art of Game Design. Okay. And... Where where does the deck of lenses come into play? Right. So the deck of lenses is something that accompanies this book. And it's something that he goes over in the book when he's talking about how to design a game. And they basically, there's a few different ways that you can approach it. So one way that he recommends is that if you're stumped on something, you can just shuffle the deck. I I can show it to you after the show. It's a, it's a physical thing. Yes, it's not. A, I thought it would be a concept. No, it's it's a literal deck, and each one has a different idea. So one might be, <clears throat> I don't know, like the lens of marketability, and it just asks questions like, "How is this game appealing to various people?" Or there might be the, um, the lens of aesthetics. Okay, uh, and, and I don't know, just. The way that it asks the questions, they seem obvious, but when you're stumped when designing a game, it's like that. There's like 120 different things that you can consider, and this thing uh, encourages you to bring up these actual questions. Whereas a lot of times when you talk, especially when you talk to students or just those people who have these great game ideas <laughs> who haven't really thought about it, that's, that's the problem. They, they didn't really think about it, and they're just... They have this great idea that's just this gut reaction, usually of some game or combat. awesome graphics. I want the guy to be able to jump really, really high (laughs) and then stomp on people so they squish. Well, the ones I hear the most are usually, oh, hey, let's, you know, they won't outright say this, but it comes out to, oh, I want a game just like, you know, whatever game that I really liked, like Skyrim or something. Yeah, the one that I just played yesterday. Except. That took a million man hours. With with either no differences or just something really petty, like some minor thematic change, or... Yeah, like it takes place 100 years later. Sure. (laughs) Or something like, oh, but without all those bugs. (laughs) I haven't heard that one, but it makes sense. Those, those were, those were uh, programmed intentionally. Yeah, somebody was going off once. He was an intern uh, where I worked, and uh, not, not a game company, a litigation software company. <laughs> and his passion, supposedly, was to make games. But you, you could tell by talking to him that he just hasn't put any thought into it. He was talking about how much Dragon Age 2 pissed him off because well, something like the resolution got worse during certain cutscenes or something. He had, he had some really, it, you know, his, his main complaint about the game was obviously some technical limitation on their end. And he's like, if I were a game developer, I would fix stuff like that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, all right. So you have this, this deck of lenses that makes you feel better about games or making them anyway. Well, it just brings up these questions that you ought to be asking when making a game. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like somewhere along the lines uh, or the process of making games, things like this are not considered, right? The idea that there are a lot of different things you need to be thinking about or perhaps ideas like what you're suggesting, uh, it seems like they're not actually going and, and paying attention to these uh, this list of things that you should be doing when making a game these days, at least in many cases. Um, 
independent developers i could sort of understand right because you're you're sort of making your vision it's your piece of art and you want to make what you like and um or what you think would be interesting even though in my case i i think you should still pay attention to that sort of thing um i'm more concerned with when when you have like this big house of really experienced game designers still producing games that miss a lot of these important aspects and i wish i <clears throat> i wish that i had a, a clear list to to suggest Right, but well, I mean, you must have some kind of vague idea, though. So, like, what's what's a recent AAA game where you feel like they really dropped the ball on? Oh, that part's not hard. I'm saying I'd love to just have the characteristics of the game. Like, what we should do <clears throat> is make some list of these hundred really important things you need to pay attention to. Okay, or preferably because, a much smaller list. Because I've actually done this. I've actually built a list of personal aspects that I think are valuable in a game. And, and mine's very subjective, and many of them contradict each other, so you can't just pile them all in the same game. So what we need to do is take all of those and bring one up during every episode of the show. Okay. Right. That's your new job, <laughs> is just talk about those every time. Well, I could bring one up right now. Sure. Uh, the idea of tension, that I think tension in a game is very healthy, because when you have tension in that... You are afraid of losing. It makes victory in a game a lot sweeter. Yeah, that's something R and I have discussed a lot too. Like, you don't want to just put everything on easy and be able to breeze through, unless you're Rich, who used to also co-host with us. In which case, he'll just set it on easy and read the story, like uh, well, like reading a book. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think there's fundamentally something wrong with that. I talked to you and Ara about Lollipop Chainsaw way back when it was just announced and wasn't actually released. Yeah. I've talked about in the past, by the way, that I didn't know it was released until a month and a half after it <laughs> happened. And to this day, I still have not played it, which oh, I'm annoyed by. Weird, they did a huge marketing push for that. They kept releasing like a new video for it every, every month or so. Yeah, I don't use the internet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, who uses the internet? But that, and, and I mean, it's not like that's the only game. Probably the vast majority of AAA titles are more, I, I mean... That game stands out to me because the way that they marketed it, the way that they pushed it was more about, oh, these are the actors behind the voice acting, and these are all the characters you'll meet in the game, and oh, this trailer really showcases the sass of the main character. And it, I, I think Ara pointed out how irritated he was that it didn't really talk about how any of that worked itself into an interesting game, per se. And it's almost become its own weird little sub-industry, which... I can't think of a better way to describe it than slightly interactive movies. Yeah, we we were... So the listeners don't know this, right? We, we were talking before the show about how to refer to this style of game. And so I was saying, you're talking about like basically cinematic games. Yeah, at first but, I was calling them movie games. Yeah, so they're not movie games because people think we were talking about licensed games. Um, but they're not necessarily cinematic games either because then you think you just have all these cinematic videos in the middle of the game right like dragon's lair yeah. right like yeah QT. or it's just it's completely story driven but i think what you're trying to say is that the gameplay is so bland or simple but it's that it's essentially even, you're just dealing with a story it's not even always bland or simple it's just let's see i i haven't uh personally tried this yet but in skyward sword for example the new zelda game after you beat it you get some kind of hardcore mode unlocked. And when you play that, play through the game the first time, it's a breeze. You're never tense. You're never worried about the challenge of, oh, will I overcome this next challenge? I mean, if you've ever played a Zelda game before, you just kind of run through it. But for people I've talked to who've played hardcore mode, where you don't regenerate hearts by sitting on a stool, and they're actually really hard to come by, the game is actually really tense, and you really have to think, and you have to be very intentional about your actions certainly not to the same extent i'm sure but maybe a little bit more like uh dark souls or something like that that's fascinating to me because zelda never never really considered even zelda Zelda one or two i mean it i never really worried about it much i mean you might have a hard time beating but to think that hearts were really that sparse yeah actually come to think of it it probably also like i i bet even on hardcore mode if you die like they're not going to put you back very far. It's not going to be like Zelda 1 and 2 where you're all the way back at the 
you know, physical start of the game. Yeah. All right, we'll be right back. So let me tell you what's good about having a break in the show. It's that it helps us collect our thoughts again and stop getting on these tangents. Um, like Zelda hearts. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, to correct, you do not go back to the beginning of the game in Zelda when you die. If you're in a dungeon, you go to the beginning of the dungeon. Right. Right. We agree on that. So you're talking about tension as an important characteristic of a game. I was trying to lead into the idea that... Um, you, modern games, and you were touching on this, like AAA games these days, just don't seem to do as good a job with game design in general. Yeah, have sort you, of have the you played any of the Uncharted games? I have played the first and the second all the way through, and the third one, I don't know if I played. Okay, so, you don't know. <laughs> uh, so I have. They're all the same, right? <laughs> okay, so the that, last that's one I played involved a lot of trains that's, that were that's hanging. Funny. Um, yeah, I haven't played them, but there's certain things that I hear over and over again. I just have a hard time like repeating something since I haven't experienced it myself. Yeah. But never, I just never played the third one. I'm confident of that now. Well, actually, actually, let me let me put it this way. So once a buddy of mine was doing, uh, I've talked about the 48 hour game jams, yeah. but it didn't start there. Uh, a buddy of mine does these 48 hour indie movie jams where they announce the theme, and you have to make a small independent film in 48 hours. So I helped him out with this one as an accordion player. And just that process, I've I've never been on a set like that before where they're taking multiple takes and one person slightly messes up and they say, okay, we got to do that all over again. This was especially hard because they were trying to do the whole, whatever it was, 10 minute short in one take. And that involved running upstairs and repositioning and everything. That can be a giant pain. I've so been filming before, um, you know, in, in the end, it was successful, but it was just crazy after after playing so many video games and especially modern ones. That feeling of trying to do something and then something screwing up and then having to do it over again, it it, it felt just like playing a modern game. Like like I swear that playing new games feels more like takes of actually shooting the movie than it does of actually playing through some kind of experience. Yeah, that makes sense, right? Because you can you can fail and just start back a little bit. There's pretty much nothing that right. So it's just you're back at the last scene. Yeah, and one of one of the recent games that I know you like a lot that um, other people seem to enjoy as well, uh, Spelunky creates this tension pretty well, right? By essentially giving you one life, right? Um, <clears throat> it's, it's not true. It lets you well, at you least have, get hurt. You have health, but there's a lot of things that can just instantly kill you. Yeah. And then you're just done. You start from the beginning again. Really frustrating, by the way, because it doesn't really explain that that's supposed to happen. And I'm so used to that not being the case. I was like, why am I starting back in the beginning every time? That, like, I get to a new a level. Point. I should start at the beginning of the level. What's going on? <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You always go back to the beginning. This is lame. <laughs> right? Um, but then you had to start trying. Yeah, exactly. So... If they did that and the game and the game was not randomly generated, that would suck. Oh yeah, that'd be boring. Because you'd chore. end up doing the same thing every time. Yeah, so that's my problem with games that do like a like these. I don't even know how to describe it. Action, click fests, RPG. You're talking about Diablo stuff. Yeah, and like which, by the way, I've never played, but I understand you click that mouse like thousands of times. Oh yeah, I haven't played the new one, but in Diablo two and what's what's that other game that. Uh, some of the developers made because they're tired of Blizzard. Is it Torchlight or something? Dude, don't ask me. Oh, PC, I don't know. Everybody knows except for us. Uh, and, and anyway, in those games, there's a hardcore mode where if you die, your character gets deleted. 
And it's just not very well suited just because the game's a little bit story-driven. You know, even though it's got random dungeons, it's very controlled on the types of things that you can find at certain parts of the game. You know, what, what makes a traditional roguelike so fun is that you can start out and find a really awesome item that helps you get really far or find a really tough enemy that can kill you right away if you're not careful. At any time in the game, you mean? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, we're trying to say that games these days kind of miss the mark. Um, You brought up Uncharted, but I'm not quite sure why. Oh, right. So, well, Uncharted, from what I hear, is kind of the best example of... Of super contrived gaming? Right, where it feels more like you're fighting an unseen director than the actual enemies in the game. Oh, I have never heard it put that way, but that is perfect. Perfect. You're right. Like, it's all just... uh, It's completely scripted. Everything you do. It's like, all right, now you're going to go from here to here. You're going to do it by hanging up these ledges. Right. You get to the top, and then there's going to be a guy, and you have to kill the guy in this particular way. Yeah, and I've I've seen these videos uh, criticizing the game where you... If it's in a cutscene, you can jump out of a 50-story building and ride a rocket and jump through a window and do a roll and whatever. But if it's in the game, and if you're in a burning building, and if you drop down one story in a place where there's no fire, you'll die, and you'll go back to the last spot. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely true. Because um, you're not supposed to stand there, and well, you're supposed to know that. What bugs me is that, you know, I, I know plenty of people, Molly is the one I'm specifically thinking of. Um, Tim, you might not know this, but she hosted with us for quite a while as well. She loves Uncharted. It's like one of her favorite games. We were at E3 where they had a bunch of fake Nathan Drakes at the Sony press conference. She was all over that. Had her picture taken with all the fake Nathan Drakes. Well, so like I'm hesitant to say that Uncharted is just worthless, but it's just when you talk about traditional values of games and what video games are capable of that other mediums aren't, that's where it misses the mark. But if you think of it as, like, see, I'm, all, I'm also hesitant. It's it, absolutely a, um interactive movie. But like Ara says all the time, and like he mentioned in his article about the, uh, um, I, don't, I don't know, whatever, I, men- I mentioned it last time, the uh, tension between telling a story and playing a game where he he gives his example of the Rocky movies, of how it'll go through this uh, quick succession of scenes of all the important blows that were landed to like some you know soundtrack that pumps you up, and how, how a game could never be played out like that because in a game you're always you are always concerned about all the subtleties about all the little small things. So you can't tell as good of a story in, in such an artistic way. Well, you can when, when you do it like of. God of War and you make it a cinematic where you're just pressing buttons in order to proceed. Right. And you can hardly call that a game. That's just game developers' modern well, way of trying to get players to pay attention during cutscenes. And that's, I mean, that's my point, though, right? They've, they've moved to this type of gaming that tricks us, some people, tricks some people into thinking they're playing a game when in reality they're just watching a movie. A movie that is not as interesting as an actual movie would be. But in a way, see, see, it's, uh, I think you have to break down more attributes of what makes a movie good because it's, it's better than a movie in certain ways that a movie can't do. Like being in an environment and being able to soak up the atmosphere and being able to look around you and having a freeform camera, that's cool. As far as just standard pacing goes, there's no way it can match what a movie does. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so end of topic. New games suck, and we should just not allow them anymore, <laughs> right? Do you spend all your time playing independent games as a result of this? Uh, I'm trying to remember the last... I mean, I mean, I actually... Uh, I feel bad saying this because a lot of people don't like it, but I kind of like that new Castlevania game, even though it does a lot of the things we just talked about. Lord of Shadows or yeah. Lords of Shadows? Yeah, whatever. Know. Okay, I haven't played it, so I, just, I can't really pretend. I, I played the new one on the, on the 3DS for a few minutes. Oh, at some show? At E3, yeah. yeah. But but no, I never played the other one. I noticed you had it and was caught off guard. Okay. I, I, I enjoyed that game. 
Uh, I can't remember exactly. Even though it was basically God of War. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a game that took inspiration from other currently popular games. So it took things from Uncharted and God of War and a little bit of Shadow of Colossus. Okay. And, yeah, it's basically just... Right, so so I guess I can still... I could talk about what makes God of War satisfying to play as a modern-day beat-em-up. What's weird to me is I still really have fun playing that game, right? And I've only sure. played the first one. I never played any God of War. Yeah, me too. The first one. I've only played the first one. <clears throat> but it really is fun to just beat the pulp out of all the bad guys. But it's because there's so many different ways you can do it. Right. right? You can and, and they ease you into it pretty well where you just have you know, bare bones moveset and then you unlock these additional combos or whatever. I mean, it's for what, it, for what it is, it's a lot, got a lot more depth than the old final fights and the old 16 bit era beat em ups. Yeah, absolutely. But then, then I play the parts where you're fighting the, the big dragons and bosses of, of all <laughs> sorts. Right. And you're just pressing a few buttons. And I think to myself, but you're supposed like, to be blown away by the graphics. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that was really cool. And then let's say I die and I have to do it again. I'm oh, like, yeah. wow, I already saw that. Right. And I wish there was some gameplay here because right. just pressing the buttons is not that interesting. But, you know, I've I've just accepted that at that point I'm simply watching something. I always cool. wonder, because I always categorize those games as modern-day beat-em-ups. I always wonder why there's not more multiplayer ones. Why haven't they thought, oh, God of War 7 is finally two of them. Aren't they doing that with the next one? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I don't follow God of, War ever, God of War very much, but I wouldn't be too surprised. There's, there seems to be, um, Nintendo excluded, there's very small emphasis on any multiplayer on the same screen these days. Like, if there's a multiplayer game, it's some first-person shooter, network support. Yeah, that bugs me, by the way, because I hate playing games networked with other people. I'd yeah, me, t- me too. I feel like I'm in the minority when I say that. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd rather get together, actually have people in the same room, and you know, enjoy the company of others rather than just having a headset and playing and oh, people totally. aren't attention and they're going off to drink their chocolate milk or whatever. Right, yeah. For a couple of years, I hosted a game night here doing, let's see, we went through New Mario. We went through Zelda Four Swords for the GameCube. That game is actually a blast once you finally get four Game Boy Advances. To- that once at UAT, actually. Okay. We brought it in and played with, with four people, and that was kind of fun. Right. You know what? We might have been playing Crystal Chronicles. Oh, Crystal Chronicles is a lot less fun. We tried that. We were we playing four people with Game Boy Advances. That's what I remember. <laughs> yeah, the, the Zelda game's a blast because it's kind of like a link to the past crossed with River City Ransom. Though I understand it's really bad if you've tried to play it one player. Yeah, I would, I would expect that. I think yeah. I've heard the same thing. All right, well, we're going on another break. Um, come back. We have one more segment to go. And uh, we got to make a count. Yeah, we're right back. are you going to find a master of science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives where else in the valley on campus or online can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security artificial life programming and game studies as well as technology management where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. So it's time for me to mention again uh, the University of Advancing Technology. Their website is UAT.edu. We've been talking about how modern games are not necessarily that awesome, but they tend to look awesome. And, you know, there was actually, 
RNI, we we get this list of news news items, right? And then we'll go back and we'll talk about something from a month ago. And so our show isn't necessarily all current events. I think our listeners know that at this point. Um, but this, what we're talking about now, feeds into something that I found fascinating when I read it. And I think this is like a month old. Um, oh, wow, no, it's only a couple weeks. So you remember this game, uh, Kingdom of Amalur? Oh, yeah. Whatever, however you pronounce it. And that's the whole thing that caused the... Well, it was with the 38 Studios, and they went bankrupt, and now Rhode Island owes a bunch of money. Yeah, lots of blah, 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 blah. Yeah. That's not what I want to talk about. But apparently, whoever it is that... It was Schilling. All right, Kurt Schilling, some baseball player. Um, so he's the guy running the joint at 38 Studios. Apparently, he said that the MMO, the Kingdoms of Animalure MMO, wasn't fun. And I really liked hearing that, partly... Because I know that if it hadn't gone under, you would have never heard him say that, right? Can't say that a game that he's involved with isn't fun. Uh, but it's it's good to hear a developer just be like, yeah, our game, our game was no good, right? And it, it's all because I know that they would have lied and said it was fantastic. It was the greatest thing ever if they still had a stake in it, which is frustrating, right, to know it's absolutely the truth. Um uh, Huh. So is, what's what's the context here? Is he saying that as part of why it failed? Well, it never had the chance to fail. Oh. Right? But I, I think it, it's... Oh, right, because the MMO is what they never released. Yeah, why there was a bunch of money that just went in and it, it was just sucking up money and not producing anything. Um, so reading the story, that well, it, it opens up with actually a funny bit. So despite being in love with the kingdoms of Amalur... MMO before its developer filed for bankruptcy, 38 Studios head Kurt Schilling worried the game just wasn't fun. Actually, the quote is, the game wasn't fun. Um, <clears throat> and then I guess there's some Boston Magazine story talking about how uh, it was his biggest gripe for probably the past 8 to 12 months regarding it not being fun. And even 38, this is the best part, even 38 Studios' own employees weren't playing it in their free time. And which actually, I've I like that for two reasons because I don't, I don't picture game developers playing their own games as they're developing them, at least not for fun, because I know that testers hate their jobs and all they're doing is playing games all well, day. Well, what I heard about testers, I mean, when you're testing any kind of software, you're not really running it like a normal person. So uh, a comment that I've heard from game testers before is that all right, so we took a break from testing, and then we sat down, and we finally got to actually play the game, and hey, it's actually pretty good. Yeah, because when you're testing a game, you're like looking for geometry errors right. and all sorts of weird junk. And, and it, I'm sure it depends on the type of game, whether or not that's true. Whether or not you're looking for geometry errors or just having well, a Well, I mean, I'm time. sure certain types of games, the testing process is more like naturally playing it. Um... I don't know. I can't think of many. I don't know. I don't know much about testing. Yeah. I have friends who've done it a lot. but I guess the worst stories I've heard are Facebook games because there's a Facebook studio in the Valley called Broken Bulb Studio. Okay. And I know a couple of people who work there. They come to the IGDA meetings. And from what they tell me, um, the games aren't really about being fun. I don't know if it's really... I don't know if I should be knocking Broken Bulb <laughs> talking about it. That, that's okay, though, right? Uh, I don't think anybody listens to the show. Do you? <laughs> uh, probably not. We don't have thousands of listeners. So my understanding is that if a tester comes back and says that something's not as fun as it could be, they'll just t- instantly shoot that down because the whole model isn't about making the game fun. The model is about the hook. And all of those types of social games, the whole... Uh, the whole free-to-play model is is about hooking people so that they'll want to pay some microtransactions in order to continue to play and it's not just about oh was it a fun experience yeah i guess because they don't see it the big picture where if the person's having fun it will lead to them wanting to play more and therefore have more microtransactions right it's all about oh when they're out of energy points do they feel like continuing yeah, well, I mean, if you looked at the big picture, you would see that if, if it's fun, you'd play. Right. But okay, so so we got a crappy game company in the Valley, I suppose. 
Um, but it's it, hard to even call those games, actually. Uh, yeah, that is taking a bit of a leap. Yeah, I, I refer to them as the virtual tasks industry. It's the best. Term have I you ever played any of these these Facebook? I've games? seen other people play them. You know, it's funny because you and I are are you know pretty well entrenched in gaming and and Ara and everyone else that that we spend time with, but none of us play those games. Clearly, we're not the market for it. But yeah. I just I can't even picture why it would be why anyone would be the the market for that type of game i, I don't it, like is it all mothers for 40 year old mothers who have time off while their kids it's, in school or something it's hard to say like I, I can't jump to any conclusions about that you're just the thing that i notice is that this trend of having energy points and making the game free to play but then limiting how much they can play it that's bleeding over into a lot of other games so I I was the only game kind of like that that I played was a mobile game. I think it's called uh like Little Kingdom or something. And that that game is a little bit more interesting because you're you're setting up these armies and setting them up in strategic ways so that they can battle against other armies and win. But it in between battles it's got the same stuff that I hear about in social games where you need to build a new armory, you need to upgrade uh, various houses in your kingdom, and it's the same thing where you can do such and such thing in an amount of days energy, or you can pay a little bit of money for a little bit more, or do, like, sign up for some advertiser's product in order to get a couple more energy points. It's They're all just kind of these weird, sneaky ways of uh, of monetizing is really what it comes down to. But essentially, they're not interesting. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what would make that interesting, right? So so what option do you have? Let's say you don't want to go the route where you're just saying, all right, you get to do this stuff that could be cool, building the armory or whatever you're supposed to be doing. Um, but you, you don't want to go the route where you just have to charge them for it. Well, yeah. So if a game is designed with the idea that some kind of fun entertainment experience is in and of itself worth money and if people are paying an entry fee i mean imagine if disneyland totally changed everything so it was free to enter but if they nickel and dimed you here and there uh it it would be a huge compromised experience i don't know part of me likes that because i wouldn't be paying for all the crap that i don't go on but Um, i also wouldn't be able to wouldn't be willing to spend 15 dollars per roller coaster ride yeah, I guess I guess that's true. That would be a little bit different, though, because I'm trying to think. Uh, in, in a way, it's actually kind of funny. Some one amusement park I went to. You know how uh, Disneyland has the Fast Pass. Yes. Isn't it Six Flags where you actually pay more in order to get access to the Fast Pass lanes? Uh, I mean, anyone that has a Fast Pass, you're paying for it. Okay, so I guess if you took the amusement park and said that it's free to go to, but for the normal people, you're waiting in line for, you know, one to five hours. But if you pay them some money, then you get to ride it uh, immediately. That's that's almost literally what free-to-play model is. Yeah, pretty much. I would give you that. Hmm. And I might actually go. <laughs> but I would make sure I go when there's not a lot of people playing. <laughs> Which is not exactly the free-to-play model. <laughs> right. right. Um, although the Fast Pass has its own problem where... If enough people buy the fast pass, it's no longer the fast pass. Right, right, right. So it's so it's like that, but it's much more artificial and much more controlled. Yeah. Okay, so I guess without a specific example, it's hard to think of, you know, what better way to design the game. But I guess what's more important there is thinking not how to design the game differently, but how to just charge for it. That way you can take away all these artificial barriers. Right, because free-to-play isn't inherently bad. I mean, it's a good thing to get more people playing your game, especially if it's an online game where it's, in theory, a better game with the more people that are playing it. But just, you know, as a developer, knowing that there's... A million people playing your game is is awesome, as opposed to if you charged for it, maybe a few thousand people would be playing it. But it's it's turning that number into something that you can live off of. So let me ask you this: you're you're in the process of making a game. It's for uh, for iOS initially, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the choice of charging or not charging, or what to charge for it. Right. What route are you taking? Uh, I'm charging. I'm releasing a demo version 
make sure that people like it in just the traditional route. All right. When you say the demo version, though, what does that mean? Like, well, it'll let you play the first couple of levels of the story mode. Okay, so you'll have two completely different like skews, so to speak. You'll have the demo version and the full version, right? Or is it going to be the demo version that you have an internal transaction to upgrade? To no, the full it's one? generally better to do it as two on the mobile market. One reason is you can get the file size down lower for the free version, so you can download it without Wi-Fi. The other mm-hmm. reason is I've seen on the market when a game uh, is very limited and you can pay for uh, a full unlock, then people tend to get confused because the initial description is free. Yeah, that's the You thing see I a hate. lot of complaints in the uh, comments that, oh, what is this? It said it was free, but I could only play it for 10 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they should they should have an option like in iOS. Like Apple just needs to build in and say this game is two dollars, but you can like download free demo or something. Oh yeah. Like that. Yeah, build it into the infrastructure more like XBLA. Yeah, that would be better. All right, so you're not going the route of microtransactions, specifically avoiding it in fact. Well, I've right. If if I do it it'll be as a form of parody. <laughs> microtransaction for something that's worthless well as a skin for your character that looks like a ball of money oh that's awesome okay we may have talked about that once because that's not i feel like i've heard that before um i think you should totally do that and charge an insane amount of money for it (laughs) all right reminder everyone we will be back next week you can go to our website uh, website is chatterboxgameshow.com if you want to email us that would be fantastic because then we could talk about the stuff you want us to talk about Um, So that's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember... All your base are belong to us.